All right. Now, one thing is for sure. If you look out into the world, you see what the Isaiah 61, I think it says, you see darkness. Darkness seems to be increasing. And uh, have you noticed, uh, most people around here know this, I'll say for those that don't, when the, when the presidential race was going, the one person that I did not want to see voted in was Donald Trump. And me personally, I thought he was a, a Yankee. How about that? It doesn't get lower than that. Not out here in Texas. And I can put a lot of more words to that, you know, which I won't. But, you know, just his, his way just grinds on me. And uh, so I was not for him. I remember Wayne telling me one time, you know, listen to this guy. And I thought, yes, are you serious? But uh, then, like two weeks before the, the uh, election, the Lord spoke to me and gave me Psalm 2. In Isaiah 54, and as uh, soon as he gave it to me, I thought, you're telling me that, that Trump's going to be elected, which, again, I'm confessing here. That wasn't my idea. It wasn't my will. I didn't want the other side to win, for sure. But, I, but anyway, I thought, we're, just, we're, we're in trouble. Darkness is continuing to rise and our answer is Donald Trump. Gah. Get ready to get beamed up, Scotty. So, anyway, I was trying to prepare the church for a rapture. Whenever that's going to take place, right, Mark? So, anyway. But he gave me those two scriptures. And I have to say that ever since then, I've been watching this guy. It wasn't just that God was showing me that he was going to be the president, but God was going to use him to enact the things that God wants done. Now, that may include a deepening of the divisions that are in the, in the community. You know, y'all hear that? Sometimes God wants to bring it to a conclusion. And so, he didn't send Trump in for peace. That seems obvious now, doesn't it? Because it does nothing but get worse and worse and worse. And all these political hacks that, you know, that know how to run things, but they can't run their own show, keep telling him to get off tw- uh, Twitter. I guess Twitter's the organism and tweets what you pull out of it or something. I don't know, he keeps messing them up because he keeps tweeting stuff out that blows everyone up. And he does it every day. It's several times a day. And yet they cannot kick him out, and they keep trying. By the way, that's in Isaiah 54. They will gather together, but no weapon formed against him will prosper. And every time they rise up against him in judgment, he's going to condemn it. So every time they rise up and get together, they got it this time. I'm telling you, all this is is God opening the doors for more idiots to join in and open up their mouth, and he can judge them too. But he'll pop them all at the same time. You wait. He'll win again. He wants. He'll do it again. Because he's not finished with this thing. Now, it may not finish until Jesus comes back. Seriously. The darkness is going to increase. And, and what's happening with Trump is he's, he's just un, unveiling what's there. It's always been there. But now there's no excuses. Everyone has, feels motivated or, or compelled even to, to give their two cents worth. And all that's doing is just dividing. 
even more. And folks, it's all over the Bible. Sheep and goats. He will divide. On the one hand, Jesus is talking about dividing the sheep from the goats. And on the other hand, he's praying that God would, would unite his people. So it's interesting. It's an interesting oxymoron. How do you divide and unite at the same time? But that's what God is doing. Now, the battle lines are being drawn. No one backs off. Have you noticed that? In fact, every time they get beat, the demon crest, if you don't mind me using that term, I have your permission to use that term in the body of demon crest. Every time they don't get their way, what do they do? They come back for more. They can't take no for an answer. That's kind of a scary enemy that they seem to feed off the feet. Isn't that weird? Back in my day, if you got your, 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 uh, they plot you right in the nose, you wouldn't want any more of that. But these guys seem to want more of that. That's because the Lord of them is driving them. And this thing is coming to a conclusion. Okay? The battle lines have been drawn, and they're going to intensify until the Prince of Peace comes. His name is not Donald Trump. His name is, we just sang it, Jesus, Jesus. He's the light. So, I want to talk to you a little bit today about uh, part of the battle lines that have been drawn, that are intensified like crazy. We just can't seem to get rid of it. And it is what uh, I would call the battle of the ages. Do you know what the battle of the ages are? It's a battle of the sexes. Would you agree with me that there is a battle line, a division in our country and in the body of Christ over the issue of male-female? Well, for God's sake, we can't even use those terms anymore, can we? Male and whatever. Many definitions coming forward. But that's the, that, is the, that is the battle of the ages. And it will continue to be that way. Even though it is interesting that we would divide along those lines when the whole plan of God was that the two would become one. Isn't that weird? And that is the call of Jesus. That the, that the two, him and his bride would become one. And while at the same time Satan is working on it to divide us along those lines. Crazy, but that's what is happening. One thing I have noticed here lately, and maybe you have too, and I've started hearing from these other pastors as well. I see Jezebel everywhere. Do y'all? Is it just me? Am I getting so old? That's all I see. It's like crazy. And in my life, and let me tell you what. Something about my life that you should pay attention to. God always starts with the leader of a group. And he puts it on them, and then it comes to the rest of the group. But in our life, we are surrounded by Jezebels. Not one, many. Many. You know, you get one, you say, well, you know, whatever. You get two. Well, now it's starting to become kind of a witness. You get three. You got the witness for sure. I got more than three. So it happened. So I want to talk about that a little bit today. The battle actually started back in the beginning. 
Go to Genesis chapter 3. Boy, those glasses were... <laughs> so my eyes are going. No, it's glasses. Genesis 3. The whole war is to regain what was lost here in the Garden of Eden. The kingdom of God was here. Paradise was here. Everything worked really well. Everybody was happy. But there is an enemy. And he was fighting us and fighting God's plan from the get-go. Now, I want you to notice the strategy of our enemy when he wants to bring down what God is trying to do. His strategy. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more cunning. <clears throat> That's the devil. Then the beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, As God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the, fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. You should underline that. His first shot in temptation or fighting this thing was to tell the woman, you will be like God. Does that encourage anybody? Does that entice anybody? It did her. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, like God, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And that, that, that process continues today. He'll just do what she says. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to them and said, Where are you? Doctor, would you mind get me a water out of there? Where are you? So, God immediately starts working on his plan to correct what had just been lost. Okay? And you notice that they're trying to hide from him. Alright. So, Immediately, God launches off into the plan that he has already had in his heart, by the way. This is, one, this is one of those great mysteries. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was a lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. So before all of this took place, Jesus had already been slain as a lamb. Isn't that weird? I mean, there's no time with God. And of course, that's way over our heads. And I don't even know why I brought that up. But God's not surprised by what happened. He already has his plan. And he's about to start initiating his plan. And so he does. You know, he addresses the devil and, and gives him what is going to happen with, with him for the rest of his creation. Thank you, sir. And then he starts to address the people. And you can count on this. When God starts to correct the people, a couple, shall we say, he always starts with the woman. 
Y'all believe that? See, I would think it would be the other way. Man's in his house, blah, blah, blah. But uh, this is something God has shown me the last few years. Just go through and read the Bible. Hey, are y'all reading the Bible? Joshua, keep it up. You should be through by the end of the year. Okay? So, you read all through the Bible. When God wants to come in there and deal with a couple or a people, he will start with a woman. Which I think is interesting. Maybe it's because she went first with the building of the garden. So, he speaks to her first. And we know what he said to Adam. We're not going to get into Adam right now. He told Adam, you think you should work your rear off. That's what he said. You get out there and you bust it, mister. And you bring forth, you know, stuff for everyone to eat. And guess what? You're also going to bring thorns. You're not going to like what you get. But you're going to do it. And that's always been God's plan. So, you know, as, as we see families grow and young men grow up, they get teenage years, the first thing they want to do is not do that. They want to get lazy and lay on the couch. And so what's supposed to happen? Daddy's supposed to go in there and say, get your tail up and get a job. Right? Join the happy throng. Right? And there's no busting on that. You just, here it is. But what do we say to the woman? And that's the key for today. So look, look at verse um, 16. Everyone gets this, what we call a judgment oracle of God. This is something God speaks, an oracle. It is judgment. So you can't get away from it. It is what it is. It says what it wants to say, and you can't change it. It is written. Okay? Here's the judgment oracle of God concerning what happened in the Eden. And he speaks this one to the wife. Verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. That is probably the most misunderstood verse in the Bible. It's crazy. I didn't really understand it at all until we took the women through Riyadhosa for the women's retreat. Good grief. That was, what year was that? Fourteen? For five years. So from the 35 years in ministry, I didn't even know what that scripture meant. Now, I used to think it meant, okay, uh, the last part is the part that we really got to look at. You know, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Here's how I used to interpret that. Maybe you have too. Well, I thought, well, what he's saying to her is that she's going to, you know, desire in a good way her husband. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Right, guys? Yeah, I'm saying you should be wanting me. I've heard you say that. Well, the Bible says. You're supposed to be desiring me. Yeah. Women, have y'all ever heard a man say that? On a date? <laughs> we'll try anyway. So, it never, it, it always kind of clashed with me. So, what's that got to do with and he shall rule over you? They don't go together. Guys, I'm sure you have learned this lesson already. You don't go there and tell her what to do and hope she jumps in bed with you. Thank you. It doesn't make sense, does it? They're not talking about that. That's why it doesn't make sense. They're actually the same sentence. They're talking about the same thing. 
Here's what it really says. You actually see that in the next chapter when it talks about uh, Cain having to deal with sin. You will have a desire to rule over your husband. But he should rule over you. Does that make more sense? It kind of goes together. Logically, it makes sense. And you're sort of, if you have a Bible like mine, you look at the footnote down there. That's what he's saying. She will have this insatiable desire to control him and to rule over him. And that used to make every man I know really mad. Right, guys? This is the first chance you can say yes. You chicken story rest. I am, I'm amazed. Amazed. He's still thinking she's going to offer him an apple. When we went to the two retreats, the men first and the women, that was the first thing we did. We asked those men, what makes you bitter? Don't, don't tell me you're not bitter. Because the commandment of the Lord is that you should love your wives and not be bitter. Why would it say that? If you're not bitter already, you are. So we cut through the stuff. Went straight at it. And the men all said, well, this is what makes me bitter. And far right away, the winner was, ding, she tries to control me. Am I right, guys? Did y'all hear this? I must lay hands on this man. No, you lay hands on me. God help us, he did it. This is the truth. I don't know a man around. That doesn't really, really dislike that. And they're all looking at me right now going, don't say anymore because you're going to make me, you know, get it up. They're all looking away from her. Well, the baby, he's not talking about her. You? And so the next year we took the women up and we didn't say the exact thing. So straight at it. That's what the word says. And here's, a, here's what actually I think helped the women go ahead and admit it's true, that they want to rule their husbands in a, in a godly way. To help him. Right? Because he's, what, stupid. Doesn't get it. Right? There's good reasons here. And it's not my fault, she, she says. And here was the, here's the thing that helped the ladies get over this. It's a judgment oracle of God. You didn't go out and buy that at, at Dillard's. It was placed in you by God. This is the result of what happened in the garden. Here's your judgment. You're going to want to rule him. I put that in you. But here's the other plan. You're not supposed to. He's supposed to rule over you. So, she said, we have a problem. You talk about a Romans 7 thing. There's something in me that wants to do the right thing, and there's something in me that doesn't. That's the truth. So, for the first time, I could literally tell the women, it isn't your fault. I'm not holding this on you. I'm not going to blame you for being judged like that with God. God did that. If you have a problem with it, I told the men, if you have a problem with the fact that she wants to control you, tell God. Don't tell her. 
She didn't do it. Don't get that. It is the truth. So we had a moment. We had a moment. It was a miracle moment. When I asked the ladies, I said, oh, so just write down how you try to control your husband. And they all put something down there, two pages worth, in my filing cabinet. We have handwriting experts. It's in their handwriting. So it, there you have it. This is why we have the battle of the ages right there. So in her, God has placed this, this thing, a, 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 a desire, a burning need to make sure everything is good. And they give all kinds of reasons for that this is okay to do it. I don't want anybody to fail. Uh, I don't want everybody to, to mess up. I want to help here. I want to show you things you've not seen. All these good, good reasons, except they're all wrong. You have to submit. Or do you? Thank you for being honest, sweetie. No, you don't have to. People every day are sitting deliberately. Because I don't want to. But we have this in here, do we not? Can everybody see this now? Nobody sees it. <clears throat> We'll say it all again. <laughs> it's in there. The question is, is did it survive the, to the New Testament? I have heard many say that it did not. So let's see. I will say this. The question becomes, if, at least in the Old Testament, is who rules? Who rules? If the woman in this chapter submits to the husband, as God said for her to do, God rules. Because that's what he said to do. God said to do it. If the woman does not submit to the husband, now she thinks she's ruling. But who's really ruling is the devil. Because in disobedience, to God, by definition, you are obeying his enemy. Amen? Did it survive through the New Testament? Galatians. No more amens. Well, you can eat at your own restaurant. Galatians 3. There's no better place to look than Galatians 3, because it's all about the law, which, of course, is Old Testament, Right? Moses' law, it's in the Old Testament. Chapter 3, Paul always fought against the law. Verse 23. says, Before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would be afterward revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come... We are no longer under a tutor or the law. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. 
There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So that's the scripture that those would, that would say you know, that this has not survived to the New Testament. They would point to that. But let me point out a couple more things about this. He is comparing this, what Jesus did, to the law. And the law of Moses did not come on the scene until many books after the, the book of Genesis. This was, be, what he said in Genesis was before the law. The law came afterward this. But still, did it survive the, the old to the New Testament? Look over, this is by Paul, by the way. So look over another writing by Paul. Look over in 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2. Let's start at verse 8. It says, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So the reason I want to read this verse is, is to get the attitude in your heart here that you're supposed to do what's following with this attitude, without wrath, without being mad about it, and without doubting you know, that it's true and that it has a reason for, for being what it is. Without wrath, without that. And it talks about the women, how they should dress themselves. We'll skip that. Uh, look at verse 11. Let a woman, without wrath, without doubting, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. There's that S word, Kim. Submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. And nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue with faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Verse 15 sounds a whole lot like we read in Genesis 3, doesn't it? She'll be saved in childbirth. So, the point here he brings out is that what happened in the Garden of Eden is the woman was deceived. She actually thought she was doing the right thing. And the man was not deceived. And, you know, it speaks a whole lot to his, I don't know, why did he do it? You know? I'd like to get a hold of Adam and just beat him down. Like, you idiot. Look what you did to us. But the woman was deceived. She actually thought she was doing the right thing. And her deception brought transgression. Transgression is an interesting word. There are three words for falling away with God. Iniquity, sin, transgression. Okay? Iniquity is the root. Transgression is like the, 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 the plant itself. Sin is the fruit. Transgression goes to this part. It breaks the relationship. It breaks a relationship. The way it was growing well, and someone snapped the thing, the stem of the thing, and broke it off. Her deception broke off the relationship between man and God. All of a sudden, they weren't together walking together in the pool of the evening. They were hiding from God. 
And so that was one of the reasons that God corrected it the way he did. He cannot be without a relationship with you. So he said, I want to put it in a different order than what it was. And here's the new order. Man, you, you lead here. Woman, you come underneath him. Now we just read, did we not read this? There's neither male nor female in Christ. So we're not talking about value. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Slave or free man. All that doesn't matter as far as we're all going to heaven. We'll all be the same when we get there. But down here on earth, this is the way the order is as far as where you occupy your life position. Everybody hear that? It matters to God as concerning obedience. There's some pretty hard stuff in there about her, did it not? Learning silence. Now, I want to get into a little bit of what goes on in a church service. Because this is where we always get a little bit close to the edge. I, I remember when I first started the ministry. Uh, we would have a men's Bible study, and we would have a ladies' Bible study. And for a while there, the ladies' Bible study was at my house. And guess what? So was my office. When I had a job in corporate America, I was also officing in the same house. So the ladies would be in the living room, and I would be like one wall away in my office. Good luck. Silence is not on the table. Random talking is. I noticed that no one was able to finish the sentence. Nobody. Everybody, and this is why women are. I'm not, I'm not criticizing. But a man should not go into that world. When a man goes into that world, he literally wants to blow his brain off. Boom! Right, guys? You can agree with that. You know, you know that's true. We are one-track-minded. And a woman is like, <laughs> and they'll come back to the same subject 30 minutes later. And pick up a sentence in mid-sentence. And everybody can follow that except men. We can't do that. It literally bugs us. And I put it mildly. But I learned really quick. Don't go in and correct that. You can't. And neither should you. Let them be women. But when you come together, different rules. Now we have the silence rules come into play. Because, again, you've got to go to a, a, a common denominator where we can all function. And I've just told you, men cannot function under random talking. And I really cleaned that up. I've got a lot of other words for it. First Corinthians 14. <laughs> Will any man out there like to say anything here? <laughs> yeah, speaking for you, brother. First Corinthians 14, which is an interesting scripture because uh, I was uh, kind of stepping stage here for this, for this chapter. This is the definitive chapter in the Bible about the use of, of uh, gifts in the body. 
Okay? Chapter 12 through 14 cover the use of gifts in the body of Christ. Prophecy. Tongues. Words of knowledge. Interpretation of tongues. All those gifts. A lot of them are verbal. And in chapter 14, it says that you should all zealously covet the gifts. Especially the gifts of prophecy. Which by definition means that your mouth is being used. Words are going forth. And it's speaking to the whole church, men and women. So in the context that we know, he's saying that the whole church can be used by God in gifts of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, not by men or by women, but by the Spirit. Then he says a couple other things concerning the, the functioning of the church. Look in chapter 14, verse 34. Look at 33. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And that's what men feel when they get into this random access stuff. Confusion. Women are confused, but men are. And I guarantee you, they are not at peace. In fact, if, ladies, if you'll notice, your husband usually gets irritated in times like that. And I'm speaking the truth now without a joke. It irritates him. No, amen. Thank you. Good grief. Somebody support the guy. The one guy. 34. So, let your women keep silent in the churches. For <laughs> now he's getting out ahead of himself. You want to read this? Uh, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. Now, he's interesting. He's referring to the law here. So this, don't worry about it. The law is right on this one. If they want to learn something, here's one. This one just sticks out like a sore thumb. I will just read it without comment. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is shameful for women to speak at church. Next verse. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it only you that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues, but let all things be done decently and in order. Did y'all get anything out of those verses? That when you come together like we are here, or in the Bible study on Sunday school, or on Wednesday night, or even what you, you not go ahead group for doing on, on Sunday night, you are in a church setting. Did y'all hear me? You are in a church setting. You're not at Larry's house in the living room, but Larry's over, over there. You are all together. These rules apply. So you got to ratchet it down, ladies, and not let your amazing um, weapon of the tongue blow away the decency and in order functioning of the church. Yes, Larry. Amen, Larry. Thank you. 
And, and if you've been to this church for any time at all, you will know that we have a kind of an interesting approach to like Sunday school and Wednesday night when I'm, when I'm teaching. Yeah, I, we do talk. So how can I fit what we do into that scripture? I never lose the leadership role. That's how. And sometimes I'm, I'm, sometimes we've got out in. There have been a few times where I've actually said, that's enough of that. Let's move on. I try to do it gently without embarrassing anybody, but there are times when someone's mouth runs. And it's not always a woman. It can be men. But it's usually women. Or people talking to one another while the speaker is trying to speak. That is confusion. We have one conversation. I mean, that's in general. I'm talking about in general. I want us to have the liberty that we should have, and people marvel at our faith that we do like that. Outside visitors come in here, they are amazed at what we do on Sunday school and Wednesday nights. Truly amazed. They think, you should bottle that and teach it at every divinity school. Because the Holy Spirit is allowed to move. And I don't care if it comes to a woman or six women in a row or all men. I don't care. I just want to hear the Holy Spirit. And when you have a leader in that position, in those settings, then just let him kind of lead. And, and if you're that leader, then lead for God's sake. Don't let it get away from you. And I say that as one who has let it get away from me before. I've learned my lesson. There should be a, some sort of internal clock for everybody. That when you, when you finish the sentence, well, I'm going to take this next one up. We'll finish the daggum sentence. But don't hear that. One should not lead to three more. And we really don't need 25 details. Not in the setting of men. I know in women, that's, y'all, you're like Pac-Man. Cookie Monster. I know the old deals, but... But men are not like that. So, cut to the chase, get it out. And it's going to be hard for you. You're going to look at me like, you don't know what you're talking about. You know I know what I'm talking about. Amen? But you can do it, and we do it. We actually do a, a good job of that, I think. A really good job. Uh, but, uh, you know, when, like the knucklehead did, you guys are kind of launching out into your own right now. Think about these scriptures as you go forward. Uh, let's look at another one. First Peter, uh, First Peter 3. This is interesting. First Peter 3, verse 1. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Did you know that I skipped the word there? I said, wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands. Why would it say that likewise there? Because above that is one section after another about everybody has to submit to somebody. Everybody does. Men have to submit. They have jobs out there in that, that young field that yields thorns. They got Hitler as their boss. And what are you supposed to do with Hitler as your boss? Submit. submit. 
clock here. I say, find another job. You'll find Hitler's cousin. The message to you is submit. Get this. Every knee will bow and confess that he is Lord. Everybody has a command to submit to somebody. And like Bob Dylan says, you're going to serve somebody. You will. So, when he says wise, likewise be submissive, he's including the fact that I've already spoken to everybody else. Everybody submit. Get the spirit of that in you. And then this thing will flow. Keep reading. Be submissive <coughs> to your own husbands. And by the way, this is truly what it says. My wife needs to submit to me. Not to Dwayne. But she is to submit to Dwayne as an elder. Don't get that one. Because elders are a, a, a position in the body that you should submit to. But she doesn't submit to, has to submit to, to Patrick. And I, I've been waiting for this moment, dude. Been bad now to me back here. Because why? Because she's older than him? No, that's not her husband. I'm her husband. And when we get together, you know, you and husband and wife both, submit to your husband. And to the leader of the group. Amen? Submit. And, and in these groups, all groups, typically there will be a male man, male person, man, as the leader of the group. Because Paul, we read the scripture, I don't, I don't permit her to be in, in the authority here. Now, how do we have people like Janine come in here? If she's not supposed to be in, in authority or, or anything like that, how can we have a female like Jill come in here? Because they come in in a submissive attitude to this church and me. So as long as that's there, they can even preach the entire time. I don't care. Because, well, again, what we're looking for is the Holy Spirit to speak. And we know he can use a woman. He uses a jackass in the Old Testament. Y'all read that already, right? And all the men are the jackasses. We know this. That's what they said. So, you know, just follow the flow here of the Spirit of faith. Just humble yourself so that we can hear God. Keep reading this. This is a great scripture. Submit to your own husbands that even if some husbands don't obey the word, in other words, the Bible, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Of their wives. So, even if you've got a, a, a non-saved husband, submit to him. Even though he's not following the word of God, you should. And the word says, submit to your husband. And you obey God's word. <coughs> even though he may not be obeying God's word, you will win. You can win them to the Lord. Even if there are a Christian and there's or a knucklehead Christian, you can still win them to the Lord by your attitude. And I let me tell you what, ladies, when Jezebel rises up, if you find her in the Jezebel spirit, nobody's going to win. It's just locking horns. And I mean horns. Keep reading. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on a fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. That's a wonderful verse. Now look at verse 5. This is what I want you to go to. For in this manner, 
in former times, Old Testament. Holy women who trusted in God. Please underline that. Women who trusted God were submissive to their own husbands. Wow. You know what that tells me, folks? If I see a woman who is not submissive to her own husband, that same woman does not trust God. And so the issue is now truly framed. The issue is not the fact that she's not submissive. The issue is that she really doesn't trust God. And you can't fix it without going to that point. Why don't you trust God? And don't you want to? See, I think everybody wants to trust God. I, I do believe that. And I, I'll tell you this also. It's hard for everybody to trust God. Because it has your heart in it. It has your hope in it. It brings faith to the table. There's a lot that goes with trust. It's emotional. There's a lot to it. And if you don't trust God, let me tell you, how can you be his bride? Think about it. And I can tell you this as a man. As a man, I'll speak as a man. The one thing that really turns me on is when my wife expresses trust in me. You know, we're supposed to, the one thing that a wife is supposed to give to the husband is respect. And when she challenges his trustworthiness and those sorts of things, you are disrespecting him. When you challenge his desire to do the right thing, even though he's not perfect, but he wants to do the right thing, he will always try. When you challenge that, you're cutting off his air supply in the relationship. You really are. And you wonder why he's not in a loving mood. He's supposed to love you. But you're sitting there cutting off his trust, his respect, and it's hard for him to love you. That's the way this thing goes. So, I I wanted to bring this scripture up for a real good reason. What's coming ahead of us, as this darkness continues and these great divisions increase, you have got to be able to trust God. Read the matters. They all have to do with trust. Refuge means trust at the highest level. Where you would literally go to the edge of the cliff and dive off. So we're talking about really trusting God. And so work on your marriage. Amen? Go there. Start doing what the Bible says. Everywhere you go. All the time. Now, is that the way it's going to be at the end? I don't think so. Look over in Isaiah chapter 3. If that's God's plan to make marriages perfect, a picture of what it's going to be like between Jesus, his son, and his bride, if that's his plan to bring us into that kind of position, what do you think Satan's plan is going to look like? Isn't that interesting? Of course he would fight that. And in Isaiah chapter 3, God showed me this seven years ago. There was so much trouble going on in the church. I mean, good grief, couples fighting. 
kids were out of, out of order, being little monsters. And I had no answer. I went to the, my prayer closet and I just asked God, so what is going on? And I'd like, like a screen of the laser. He sent me right here. He quoted this to me. I had to go look it up. It's one of those things. You read the Bible, guys? Don't go ahead, guys. Read the Bible. Sometimes you'll pull out things you don't even know is in, the, in your heart. that you, you don't remember it at all. But God knows it's in your spirit. He put it there. And when He wants to draw it out, He will. And this was one of those for me. Verse 12, chapter 3. As for my people, we're not talking about anybody but Christians. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Woo! So she's supposed to be submissive, according to the judgment oracle of God, and even in the New Testament. Why is this happening? As for my people, children are oppressing them, women rule over them. Oh, my people, those who lead you. Cause you to err and destroy the way of your past. We have leadership issues that allows this to go on. Now, the interesting thing about this particular verse, I said this a couple of weeks ago. There are two sections of Isaiah that are called Isaiah's apocalypse. In other words, they are Isaiah's definition of what will be happening, like it is in the Book of Revelation, apocalypse. So they are end time scriptures, right in the middle of the first section. Of Isaiah's apocalypse lies, chapter 3, verse 12. So, without a doubt, God was showing me that at the end, it will be this way. Uh, shoot, I was seeing it right then. And so I started talking about it. You know, and I even had a dream about Amazon women. Y'all remember that dream? What a dream. God began to show me this is actually going on now, and it's going to get worse. So, here's the battle. And it's going on. And it is intensifying. Especially as the Spirit of God moves, where He really wants to use all of us, men and women, you're going to find this issue is really going to be front and center. Now, this battle has been going on for quite a while. First Samuel, chapter 7. I told you that God gave me that, like a prophecy. The history of this church, real quick, I'm going to go through something here. This church has a history of being prophetic. God has consistently shown this church what is coming and what is happening in the Spirit by the Spirit of prophecy through various people, several people, including myself. Several people. He has shown things that are coming prophetically. This is one of them. Over 40 years ago, well, the mid-80s. Is that 40? 37. Whatever. How long that is? How long is that, baby? Do the math. Oh, it's not quite 40. Okay. In the mid-80s, we had an issue up here at the church one time, and I mean, it was like a demonic spirit came into this church. I was trying to preach, and I could hardly even speak. It was so heavy in in the other room. I went home and asked God, what is that? And over a course of a week or two, he began to give me stuff, one little line after another. And finally, I got mowing my grass, and he, he just spoke this to me, Chapter and verse. First angle. Seven. I killed the lawnmower, came in here, and started reading. Because the question was still out there. What was that? That demonic presence that I felt that was so strong. So, <clears throat> here's what he said. 
chapter 7. Then the men of Kerjath Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadad on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. Here's the problem. They had lost the ark of the Lord, which signifies the power and the presence of God. They had lost his presence and his power to win their battles completely because they had done something wrong. And here we're going to find out why they had lost the ark. Verse 2. So it was that the ark remained in Kerjath Jerim a long time, like 20 years. It was there 20, well, 20 years. <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> now, prophesy now. Look how good this is. And all the house of Israel lamented that to the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the houses of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the Asheroths among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve him only. And he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistine. Verse 4. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Asherahs, or the Asherah, and served the Lord only. Samuel said, gather all the Israel to Bethlehem. I will pray the Lord for you. So they gathered, and he did this prayer, and they, they whooped them. They beat the Philistines because they repented and put away Baal and Asherah. And God told me, that's what you saw. Baal and Asherah. Baal is the sun god. Asherah is the queen of heaven. I ain't going to go into the death of the wall and this, but Baal is, he rules by control. Manipulation and control. He literally is Satan. They call him Baalzebub or Baal the Prince. And there's a lot of interesting things about the guy, but that is the devil. And throughout the Old Testament, you will find the continual battle of God's people with the God who wants to control. And that's why when he comes at the woman, the first issue is control. If you do what he wants you to do, even in, for good reasons, you have just bowed your knee to Baal. Okay? Bad, bad, bad thing. So, they did what they were supposed to do. Later on, God showed me, I mean, through various mamas, that no one was just in this church. Oh, I said, oh, no, this is Andrews. This rules Andrews. And then I was in another place, I had a, there was a picture of a map on the wall of the United States. He says, it's over America. And then, like a globe, he said, it's all over the world. And you have found it in your church. So, it's with God's people. Now, uh, it actually got worse. This, this battle continues. Like I said, this is all through the Old Testament. 230 years later, First Kings chapter 16. 230 years later. It shows up again. This time, with more smoke on it than it was before, ever before. First Kings 16. Verse 29. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. 
And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image or an asteroid pole. He did more to provoke the Lord of God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And in his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. You know, they weren't supposed to rebuild Jericho. Go back and read Joshua 6. Joshua said, Cursed is the man that rebuilds Jericho. And they were doing that kind of stuff in this time. Things that everybody knew was wrong. Y'all think uh, we're doing those things? Things that everybody knows is wrong? We're doing it? At the highest level? So that's what's wrong here. It went to the highest level, the king. And he marries Jezebel. Now again, the problem is not so much Jezebel. It's the God that she serves. Her name literally means, I am husband. Baal is my husband, is what her name means. Baal is my husband. And she was a dedicated, zealous worshiper of Baal. In fact, she had 450 prophets of Baal and, and another 400 of Asheroth, or vice versa. 850. God is not going to leave this thing alone. That's why I started this. I see Jezebel everywhere now. It's happening. What will God do? Knowing that this is like the battle of the ages really coming down now. Not just men and women. God versus Satan. Well, chapter 17, he's going to respond. Verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. So he rebuked the weather. And for three and a half years, there was no rain. God went right at those guys. They were a, they were a society that required rain, like, like we all do. And he turned it off through the prophet Elijah. Now, without going there, you can go there later. You read Revelation 11, because that's exactly the same thing the two witnesses do. In the times of their prophecy, which is three and a half years, they will, they will cause drought to come upon the earth. And of course, nobody's going to like them for it. So God will respond to this thing. Like he did in the Old Testament, he will do it in the New Testament. Well, and it, they had a big hold down. Look at chapter 18. It finally got to the point, after three and a half years of drought, they said, well, let's, let's just end this thing. Let's find out who God really is. Is Baal God or is God God? And they went to Mount, I think Carmel, and, uh, and had the big hold down. And, you know, you know the story. You guys can read chapter 18 later. But the prophets of Baal went first. They cut themselves. They screamed. They did all kinds of stuff. And Elijah just mocked them. So he's probably on the toilet somewhere. Yell a little louder. And at the end of the day, it was his turn. And this is picking up in verse um, 36. It came to pass at the time of the offering of the Eden sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, this is really interesting. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. That is easy to pray. Agreed? God just showed him, you're God. But look at the next one. And I am your servant. And that I've done all these things at your word. 
Folks, you know what? There's a lot of, I don't know, parading around about how great your ministry is, and, you know, whoop-de-doo-dah. But, you know, we don't hardly ever actually see it. You know what I'm saying? Folks, smoke and mirrors. It's always been that way. Smoke and mirrors. And there's always miracles somewhere else on another day. Well, do it right now. I don't know. Right now. Are you going to go that far? Right now. Let's just get this over with. See, I think a lot of people are going to freak when it gets to the right now moment. Because they have never really had it. They're not the servant of God. They're the servant of their own kingdom. You ought to be listening to this. Baal's connection to money is inmistakable. And if you have great quantities of money stashed away, you got to ask the question, why? Leave that alone. Of course, this gets a response when he does this. You know, he, God answers and he kills all the prophets. 850. You would think that that would be the end of this story. Jezebel just took one right in the shops, man. But look at chapter 19, verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. <clears throat> then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by the tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. you got to give her credit. This is one mean woman. And one of the things that we are learning as I see Jezebels everywhere, don't think that because you can yell louder or do something and win a battle that it's over. It's like she feeds on that. It makes her matter. And she ain't stopping. And that's why I say, the scripture we read in Peter, you better learn now to trust the Lord. Because you're in for the fight of your life. She won't back off. And th this prophet was running for his life and hiding from her. Golly. Look at chapter 19, verse 14. He runs, and, and, and he, he finds this place in the cave, and God says, Who, where, what are you doing here, Elijah? In verse 14, he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of the host. See, we, we're coming to the battle of zeal. Who has the most powerful zeal out there? One thing for sure, everybody's into the zeal thing now. Just turn on the TV. No one is backing off. They're full of the zeal. And he said, I was very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant thrown down your idols, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said unto him, Go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Israel. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Verse 17, It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. He and I reserve 7,000 people who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. 
So, God knows that this battle is so intense, it's going to take more than one generation. It's going to take two. Look over in chapter, Second uh, Kings chapter 9. Elijah did what he was told to do. And seven years later, he went up to heaven. That's interesting. Just walked to heaven. But he did appoint Jehu as king. And Jehu finally finds, Je- uh, what's her face? Jezebel. Verse 14. So, Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of all these sons, conspired. Let's see. Where is it? Yeah, verse 30. When Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. And she put paint on her eyes. This is interesting. You know, because, ladies, I don't tell you something. Your sexuality is a weapon. And you know it. Let's not, be, let's not play games here. You know it is. You know that if you really want to get your way with hubby, that ticket is a pretty good ticket. No aliens. Forty years of watching this. This is true. So what does she do when, when push comes to shove? She plays a sex card. She puts paint on her eyes and adorns her head and looks through a window. And then as Jehu enters at the gate, she says, Is it peace to Zimri, murder of your master? And he looked up at the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? So two or three units looked out at him. Then he said, Throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. And when he had gone and he ate and drank, then he said, Go now, see to this accursed woman, and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. And again, went back and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah, saying, On the plot of ground of Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel. And the corpse of Jezebel should be his refuge on the surface of the field in the plot of Jezreel. And they'll say, Here lies Jezebel. So, you know, isn't that a brutal end? And you know what did it? His zeal. We, we kind of skipped the scripture where he said that he was very zealous for the Lord. Jehu was full of zeal. Elijah was full of zeal. But it took two generations of those zealous men of God to take on this thing. And even at the end, I mean, every time she, if you hit her, she would mock you. And even at the end, she was trying to play the sex card on this guy. She won't give up. So you have to do one thing that is going to feel so opposite the way you want to do it. You have to trust the Lord. Not you. You have to get this. Learn to submit. The one thing God taught me on the, the stuff about Baal early on. If you want to beat the spirit of control, submit. Now, how God uses that word and where he wants you to submit is in his hands. But if you don't have a submissive heart and be willing to do it, you're not going to win. But if you do, God will take down Jezebel. Now, the other day, I'll finish with this. I saw TV, all these things that were going. Y- y'all remember the, the women's soccer team and all that? And 
That was ridiculous. And and we watched a movie, and they had a, it was a superhero movie. You know superhero movies. They got a superhero, and that, that guy can whoop anybody and do anything. And he's Superman, except now it's Superwoman. They're always women now. Women have literally taken over our culture. Who runs the House of Representatives? Women. Women do. And I was marveling at just how amazing and powerful this thing had become. But by God, they did it. They knew. There's no doubt about it. In God's house, as for my people. And God spoke to me this. He says, is it any greater power, or which is the greater power, that these women are ruling, or that I showed it to you and you prophesied of it seven years ago? I thought, wow, what is the greater power? The fact that they're doing it, or that God, seven years before they were doing it, said it was going to happen. I'll take the prophecy side. If the God that can call that out, like he said, can also finish the book where she gets thrown down. To those who trust him. Amen? Learn to submit. Well, praise the Lord. I went a little long. Sorry about that. That's what y'all get for not playing along. Amen. Father, I just pray for these people. I pray that they learn truth in their inner man. Truth, God. And truth sets us free, and it's not against us. It's literally liberating for us, Lord. I pray that that spirit of true submission would be upon us all, so that we all can literally become the bride of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So now that-